A patient came to the hospital this week, and both he and his wife were very worried. While walking around in his house, he suddenly became intensely lightheaded. Something did not feel right. In fact, something felt very, very wrong. He started to lay down on the floor when everything suddenly went dark. His wife found him moments later, and he was completely unconscious. She called 911. This man was in his 70s, but he looked a decade younger. And he was in great health, and he exercised regularly. So what happened? Why did he pass out? Should he have called 911? What's his prognosis, and is this going to happen to him again? We'll answer these questions and more as we talk today about what happens in your body when you pass out and the underlying conditions that can cause it. Hi, and welcome to Sick Enough, the podcast that looks at patients who are sick enough to be in the hospital and the doctors who are sick enough to work there. I'm Dave. And I'm Tyler. And we're hospitalists. We are internal medicine doctors who specialize in treating patients who need to be hospitalized. We work full-time in the hospital, acting as your doctor while you are hospitalized, working to get you better and back home. A quick disclaimer, we created this podcast to educate and entertain our listeners. The information we share is not medical advice, and you should always consult your own doctor. Also, please note that we are doctors for adults and are not trained or qualified to comment on pediatric care. So we work in a big open office, and sometimes we play a little game in our office that I think of as the acronym game. Um, When we're reading other doctors' notes, we run across acronyms that we've never heard of. And since we're all in one big open room, we just ask the room. So Tyler, I've got an acronym for you for this game. Oh man, I'm nervous. (laughs) So what does DFO stand for? I've heard a sarcastic explanation for that. I have not heard a medical explanation. Is it done fallout? Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> that is not medical. That is that is funny. Yeah, I was going to give you the context. If you asked for that, I was going to be like, well, you know, I need to admit a patient who DFO'd at Walmart. Yep. But yeah, done fell out. If you're not from the South, uh, and maybe this is an expression elsewhere in the country, but if you say you fell out, that meant that you passed out. This episode is about syncope, which is the medical term for fainting or passing out. Note that this term does not apply if you've had too many tequila shots. The medical term for that is intoxicated. I'm not sure that our ER teammates always understand that because they ask us to admit intoxicated people for syncope all the time. But anyway, moving on. When you faint, something happens to disrupt the blood flow to your brain. It could be that your blood pressure has suddenly dropped. It could be that you're too dehydrated. Um, It could be that your brother has put you into a sleeper hold and cut off the blood flow to your brain that way. But typically you'll feel lightheaded, Some people may feel or may say dizzy and your vision will start to fade. You may feel flushed. If blood flow is interrupted long enough, you'll lose consciousness and pass out. There's another term that I think is important to go over, and that's a term called orthostasis. This is a condition in which a person's blood pressure goes down and their heart rate usually goes up when they go from laying to standing. This can be a related condition. You see, when you're laying down, your body doesn't have to work very hard to circulate blood to the brain. However, once you stand up, gravity starts pulling all the blood in your body down to your feet. Think of a half-full water bottle where all the water is in the bottom of the bottle and none of it is touching the cap at the top. So your body adapts. The heart squeezes harder and may even beat a little bit faster to raise your blood pressure. Your blood vessels, specifically your arteries, will tighten and narrow. If we go back to our bottle analogy, this is like squeezing the bottom of the bottle so that, there, so that it may, takes up less space and it forces some of that water closer to the top. 
in people who are orthostatic, one or more of these mechanisms has gone wrong. Maybe there's not enough fluid in the tank. Maybe they're dehydrated. Maybe the heart's a little too slow to speed up. I'm sure it's happened to all of us at some point that we stand up too fast, feel lightheaded, then have to sit right back down. This is because the heart and blood vessels are just a little too slow to adapt. And maybe those blood vessels don't narrow or worse, maybe they relax and widen. So I want to talk about one more term, and that's dizziness. I hate the term dizziness. Tyler, how do you do you feel that same way? Yeah, here? it's it's dizziness can mean anything and it can mean nothing. And yeah, it's so it's so imprecise when the ER calls me and says, I want to admit someone for dizziness. I wish I could reach through the phone and slap them. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. It's, you know, so I really think of it, dizziness can mean three things. It can mean vertigo, which is where the room is spinning around you, which can be caused by a completely separate set of problems. It can mean lightheadedness, which is that feeling that you get when you're about to pass out. But it can also just mean imbalance. It can mean that when you're stepping, it's like you've gotten off a roller coaster or something. And when you're stepping, your equilibrium isn't quite right. Dizziness can mean different things to different people. And it's just a very imprecise term. So that's why I like to use the word lightheadedness instead. But okay, terminology out of the way. Let's talk about the things that cause syncope. Tyler, in your experience, what do you think is the most common cause of syncope? Dehydration. Oh, by far. By far. Yeah. 95%. <laughs> yeah. And I would say the things that we call dehydration that kind of still fit into that spectrum. So maybe it's not dehydration in the sense that you've been out sweating all day. Maybe it's that you take hydrochlorothiazide, which makes you pee out a lot of fluid, and you haven't really been taking much fluid to replace it. Or, or you've got a gastroenteritis and you've been puking for three days. Exactly. Exactly. The other things on my list of causes are vasovagal, and we're going to talk about that. That's this weird condition where this nerve in your body sort of misfires, to, for the lack of a better word. Pulmonary embolism, which is another big cause, especially in older adults. I, mean, I think this has only more recently been acknowledged as a big cause of syncope or passing out. And then arrhythmia. Hopefully you've listened to our last episode on heart rhythm problems. Your heart should beat in a predictable regular pattern. It may speed up or slow down to match your body's demands, but it, it should stay pretty regular. Sometimes the heart can go into an abnormal rhythm, though, and if that abnormal heart rhythm disrupts blood flow to the brain, you're going to pass out. Medications can certainly do it. I would say diuretics, probably top of the list. There are some other blood pressure medicines that can do it. I know one of my teammates for a while was putting a lot of our patients on to labetalol, which is an excellent medication, but at very high doses, it can cause you to pass out. Heart valve problems can be a rare cause, but still a cause. Your heart has valves between each chamber, and if one of those valves is leaking, then you may not effectively maintain your blood pressure at certain times. By the same token, if one of those valves is too narrow, you may not get as much blood pressure from your heart at times when you need it. Infections can do it. And I'd also like to point out sleeper holds can do it too. <laughs> so the workup, if you're coming into the hospital... You know, I would say sort of like with chest pain, our job is to rule out the bad stuff. It's to rule out the stuff that has a high likelihood of killing you or causing this to happen over and over and over again. And on that list of things, the really the lethal things on that list are arrhythmias, pulmonary embolism, and valve problems. Tyler, are there any others that you think of off the top of your head? Yeah. Speaking lethal, sure. I could put maybe seizures might be cause of some sort of like a, an atypical presentation of syncope, although seizures yeah. may not be lethal. 
So, and in, in fact, you know, the patient that I mentioned right up front, kind of at the beginning of the episode, they initially thought he was having seizures. He had bitten his tongue, but that could have been because, you know, when his head hit the ground, his jaw closed and, yeah. bit, you know, it can be really hard to tell the difference between syncope and seizures yeah. and to make matters even more confusing the neurologists tell us that syncope can sometimes cause seizures. Yeah. And sometimes when people pass out, they sometimes convulse a couple of times, yeah. which makes it even more confusing. So it's really hard to tell the difference. Yeah. And, and you really have to rely on some clinical context. That being said, seizures, I would say, are distinctly different than syncope, but definitely in the same yeah. things that we work up. So in terms of the things that we do in the hospital to check for this, we're going to check an EKG. This is where they attach a bunch of stickers to your chest. They attach wires to those stickers, and then they hook you up to a machine that prints out a page of squiggly lines. What that machine does is it measures the electrical impulses going through your heart from different angles, and your doctor can interpret that to see if you're having a heart rhythm problem. This machine is a little bit different from the heart monitor that, get, that they stick onto your chest, uh, but they work in kind of the similar fashion. We may also check what's called orthostatic blood pressures, and that's where we measure your blood pressure when you're lying down, when you're sitting, and then when you're standing, and we chart the differences. And if there's a big difference, if your blood pressure drops when you go from lying to standing, then that has implications as far as what could have made you pass out. We will put you on a heart monitor for 12 to 24 hours. I always like to tell people heart monitors are kind of like, you know, video cameras in convenience stores. You know, if your camera is not on... 24 hours a day, you're not going to catch when people are trying to shoplift or trying to steal. Just by the same token, if we don't have a heart monitor on you and you go into an abnormal heart rhythm, we're not going to catch it if the heart monitor is not there. So an EKG may give us a screenshot in time. The heart monitor gives us, you know, 24 hours of kind of monitoring. So again, I kind of think of those as sort of like security cameras in, in stores. As compared to a Polaroid. Exactly. Yeah. We might do an echocardiogram, and an echocardiogram is an ultrasound of the heart. We, we do that to see how the heart is squeezing, to see if there are valve problems, to see if there is just something structurally wrong with your heart. And this is you know, something that is not always done, but it is often done, especially if we're concerned about a valve problem. Um, just so we're clear, too, the ultrasound of the heart probably itself won't find any arrhythmia, but if there are severe structural issues mm -hmm. that can give us a clue that an arrhythmia has occurred. Mm -hmm. And I think in the last episode, you mentioned that a little bit when you were talking about oh, the yeah. size of the left ventricle, other issues too. If, if the ejection fraction is severely depressed, you know, less yeah. than 30, 35% and someone comes in with syncope. Oh, big time. Yeah. Then, then we can, that seems like sudden cardiac death. Yeah. So what Tyler's talking about is that whenever your heart squeezes, every time it beats, your heart should eject 55% of the blood that's inside of it, particularly in that left ventricle. So, and there are times I've told patients, your EF is 55%. And they're like, that's a failing grade. 55% uh, <laughs> is normal. When it gets to be less than 35%, less than 30%, your risk of having a lethal arrhythmia go way higher. Yeah. And those patients, if they don't get better from that, then they need to have uh, a special type of device put in that could shock their heart back into a normal rhythm if it happens. So yeah, we may do a test going back to kind of our list of things that we'll do when you're getting worked up for, for passing out. We may do a test to rule out a blood clot in your lungs, and that could be as simple as just a blood test. 
but it could also be a CT scan of your chest or something called a VQ scan. And then there are several outpatient tests that we can do on people who have this problem. Typically, these are done in people who've passed out more than once. And these are tests that have to be done at a cardiologist's office. And I have patients all the time who say, well, why can't you just do them here in the hospital? And it's because we don't have the equipment in the hospital to do these tests. For instance, one of these tests is something called a tilt table test. And that's where they put your body kind of at different positions, you know, from, you know, different angles of standing. And if they get to a certain angle and you pass out, that that may be an indicator that you need something more significant done to treat your, your passing out problem. I do want to talk about what tests are not part of the workup uh, because patients ask me about these all the time. Carotid ultrasound. So you have two big blood vessels going up the front of your neck that supply blood to your brain. If those blood vessels get blocked off, especially if they get blocked off suddenly, you may pass out. This is basically what happens when you are put in a sleeper hold, as my brother and I used to do to each other when we were kids. Is that what this episode is about, Dave? This is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and you can develop plaques in these carotid arteries that block off blood flow to the brain. But here's the thing. You would have to block off not just those two arteries, but at least one more other artery that takes blood to your brain before you would have symptoms of passing out from it. So I can't say that we never do carotid ultrasounds on patients to look for this problem, but we do it in patients where we have a very high suspicion that there's going to be a problem there. And it's certainly not for every person who comes into the hospital. I'd like to see some, before I order that test, I'd like to see something in their medical history, which would clue me into that. Like yeah. if they're a known vascular Or if you path. like hear a brewery in the Right, neck. yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we don't always do echocardiograms. Um, and I think there's been some recent evidence that has suggested it's not necessary to do those for every person who comes in after having a syncopal episode, you know, 10 years ago, it was part of the standard workup. It's still something I feel strongly about doing most times. The I'll know, say it's, I got to have a good reason not to do it if, yeah. if I'm not ordering it, I'll put yeah. it that way. That's true. Stress test. I would say that's not a typical part of the syncope workup. And in general, syncope, you know, passing out is not how most people with heart attacks make it into the hospital. If you have a heart attack that makes you pass out, it's usually because that heart attack has triggered a dangerous arrhythmia that we're going to pick up on your EKG, or you've had such a large heart attack that the heart muscle just can't keep up. And we're going to see that on your EKG or on your echocardiogram. So when people come in after having passing out episodes, unless they're having chest pain or other heart problems, I'm not doing a stress test or anything along those lines to look for heart disease. And then, you know, we talked earlier about seizures depending on how you come into the hospital with a passing out episode, an EEG may or may not be part of your workup. It's definitely not part of the standard workup, but it is something that we sometimes do for patients where we do suspect that it could have been a seizure. But if you get admitted to the hospital because you had a passing out episode, I would not expect that to be a typical part of your workup unless there's something about your, about how you presented that, that was concerning for a seizure. So any thoughts on that or yeah, like, like if they bit their tongue or lost bladder incontinence or something like that, that yeah. would suggest seizure and as such, maybe an EEG would be warranted. Yeah. So how do we go about treating people with passing out episodes? Since dehydration causes so many of these episodes, fluids. we give fluids. Yeah, yeah exactly. When I'm on the phone with an ER doctor and they want to admit someone for syncope, I'm probably putting in orders for fluids as I'm on the phone with the <laughs> ER doctor. Yeah. Or at least looking to see like how much fluid did you give them? Are yeah, they, are exactly. they back? Yeah. 
If we find that you've got an infection, we're going to treat the infection. If we find that you have an arrhythmia, we're going to address the arrhythmia, either with medications or with a pacemaker, depending on kind of what the problem is. And if you have a blood clot, we're going to be starting you on blood thinners to prevent you from having to dissolve the clot that's there and to prevent any future episodes of blood clots. But, you know, I would say 90% of the time, we don't find a good cause. Yeah. Is that fair to say? At least 90% yeah. of the time. And then we always have this situation where patients are like, so what happened? Why did this happen? Why, why did I have a passing out spell? Is this going to come back? Is this going to happen again? And usually if we have not chalked it up to one of these conditions, then we're kind of left with this one condition called vasovagal syncope. And I wish to God this condition did not exist, not because it's really that bad, just because it's like just a big pain to explain to people because it's just such a weird condition. So there's this nerve that goes through your body called the vagus nerve. It's responsible for some really weird stuff. It tells your stomach and intestines to move food along. It tells your bladder to pee. It tells your heart to slow down. It can also tell your blood vessels to dilate or widen and basically relax. And Sometimes you can even take someone out of a dangerous heart rhythm by manually stimulating this nerve. This is like, it seems like something out of science fiction. Like if you press on somebody's neck at just exactly the right spot, you can take them from being in an abnormal heart rhythm back to being in a normal heart rhythm. That's just so, it's like something out of Star Trek. It I mean, is true. Like I, I did that once as a med student. It is yeah, true. It's, it, it rarely works, I'll be honest. Yeah, <laughs> it rarely works is, is fair, but it, but it, it does. But the times when it does work, like you feel like you're a wizard or something. Yeah, and, and everyone in the room thinks you're the coolest thing ever. Yeah. The problem is that sometimes this nerve misfires. Sometimes it tells your heart to slow down or your blood vessels to relax when you need them to be doing the exact opposite. And it can do this in some really inconvenient times, like when you're on the toilet peeing or when you're on the toilet going number two. And it can be really, really awkward. Uh, and it can happen if you're seeing the sight of, you know, if you're somebody who passes out when you see the sight of blood, it's because this nerve fired and caused the blood vessels in your body to suddenly open up and dilate. And all of a sudden, all that blood that was going up to your brain gets pulled down to your ankles and you pass out. And it's really, really inconvenient. All of this being said, I really hope that somewhere there's like a cosmic blooper reel of people passing out while they're on the toilet. <laughs> Because I just think that'd be hilarious to watch. How long would that blooper reel be? Oh, it would be like years. Would, like, I mean, yeah. so the good news about vasovagal syncope is it's usually a one-off sort of thing. It's not something that's going to happen over and over and over again. It's usually something that happens once because of certain conditions or because of just, you know, the nerve just misfired. If it does happen more often than that, then you're one of those people who needs to see a cardiologist for these special extra tests that get done. Finally, one final note on sleeper holds. Uh, these are dangerous. You can actually damage the carotid arteries and cause someone to have a stroke. Or if you hold it for too long, you can actually kill them by doing it. So I don't recommend practice, practicing this on your brother. I did want to go back to kind of the case that inspired this whole discussion or that inspired this topic. And that was the, the gentleman in his 70s who came into the hospital because he had had a passing out spell. Um, his spell was actually really concerning because it happened while he was up walking around with no really preceding thing. You know, if it had happened when he had just stood up from his chair, I wouldn't have been that worried. As it turned out, he had multiple reasons to have a passing out spell. And he had been struggling with lightheadedness throughout the entire summer. And 
and his primary care doctor had not figured out what was going on. As it turned out, he had blood clots in his lungs, which is what we call a pulmonary embolism. So he had that, which was a potential cause of it. But these clots were pretty tiny. I don't think that they're necessarily to blame for this passing out spell that he had. The other thing that I found is that his heart rate was far too slow, and it actually got down into the 30s. A normal heart rate is around 60, maybe to 90. His heart rate when he was just at rest was down in the 30s. And if you're Lance Armstrong or some other you know, highly conditioned athlete, that may be normal for you. Even then, those athletes can still have problems with a heart rate that's that slow. This gentleman, even though he exercised regularly, he was certainly not a, you know, an Ironman level athlete. And this rate was just too slow for him. And he wound up needing a pacemaker. And with that pacemaker, he was able to have a normal heart rate and his symptoms got better. And that problem that had been really bothering him all summer was suddenly better. I just want to add a couple of things. Sure. I can think of when someone comes in with syncope, earlier you mentioned that the difference between syncope and dizziness can be a little gray. Yeah. And sometimes if I think a patient was telling me they're blacking out when really they're just dizzy, sometimes that can lead me to do some imaging of their head too. This is rare here. This certainly isn't the regular Tuesday in the hospital. Mm -hmm. But if they're telling me something which makes me think they've had like a posterior circulation stroke. Mm Mm-hmm or some big old tumor in the back part of their brain, they can tell the words that come out of their mouth sounds like syncope, sounds like blacking out, but really mm-hmm. I'm thinking more dizzy. I'm thinking more loss of balance. And to me, I could add into the differential something in their brain, which would cause me to order an MRI of their brain. Mm-hmm. This isn't something routine. And I think Dave, you've done an extremely good job of curbing most of the causes of syncope, but I wanted to throw that in there, too, because it is kind of something I'll put in my back pocket. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good segue, too, to our next series coming up with the next coming episodes about strokes. And yeah. I think that'd be a good way to kind of segue into that, too. One other last thing I'd like to add, too, is I'm speaking to the listeners who, if anyone has ever taken their parents or grandparents into the hospital for a spell like this and your hospitalist discharged them the next day because they were just dehydrated, please believe them. A a somewhat frustrating part of my job is when the 82-year-old comes in after a syncopal spell and, you know, let's say hypothetically we've ordered an MRI of their brain and it was fine. And let's say we've ordered an ultrasound of the heart and it was fine. But meanwhile, their electrolytes showed that they were dry as a potato chip on the inside. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, I don't know why, but families, patients' families have a hard time believing that the answer is that simple. The answer is that simple and the answer is that common, I can assure you. And I'm not sure. Do you see this a lot too? All the time. And syncope is usually what I would call an observation or overnight admission. Meaning you're not going to be in the hospital for days. You're going to be in the hospital maybe for that night just for us to get these tests done. Yeah. And certainly if we find something concerning, then that may mean you're in the hospital longer. But, But I would say the vast majority of patients that I work up for this problem we find either they're dehydrated or we don't find anything really that concerning and I'm able to send them home the next day. And it can be very frustrating to them. Their families can be very frustrated because we haven't come up with a definite answer. But this kind of goes back to that. We rule out the bad stuff. We rule yeah. out the the lethal, scary stuff. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean the workup for it's done. If it continues to be a problem, then there are other doctors you need to see for it. Yeah. And I'm I'm trying to say this to reassure the listening audience because yeah. if I have, let's say in a given week, I'll have six, I'm just throwing numbers out there. Let's mm-hmm. say I have six or seven emissions that they come in for syncope and it's just dehydration for six or all seven of them. 
the next day when I'm sending that patient home, three or four of those, the family's going to call and say, I think you're missing something. I think there's something worse. And I, I have to calmly and respectfully talk them down that, listen, dehydration mm-hmm. is by far the most common cause of syncope. Yeah. There's no stroke. There's no heart attack. Please believe me. And, and, so and older adults are yeah. so sensitive to it. Yeah. I mean, an older adult, an older adult in an unair conditioned home, like Who during the summer. The yeah. Yeah. That's, that's like a, a recipe for syncope. Right. So, so just please believe your hospitalist when they tell you that your grandmother was just dehydrated. It's extremely common and an extremely reasonable diagnosis. So, well, thanks for listening to Sick Enough, the podcast about hospitalist medicine. I'd like to thank Michael Cobrin and Pixabay.com for our intro music. I'd also like to thank our sound engineer, Alex. I'd like to thank Swede Custom Studios and Two Birds Artwork for providing us with a thumbnail for our podcast. And thanks for listening. And thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. 